everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. We are 100% sponsor-based, which means that all the revenues we derive come from sponsorships. But I try to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically trying to choose those who have values well aligned to the values expressed on this show, like freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do is a few ad reads right here at the top of the show and then a few ad, ad reads in the middle. And I hope you won't skip them. I hope you'll take the time, listen and see what they have to offer, because again, these are hand selected sponsors. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Swan Private is a concierge financial services firm based in Los Angeles. Now, I've known the Swan team for years, and these guys are laser focused on the Bitcoin mission. They even have a zero tolerance policy for all shitcoining. Recently, their CEO, Corey Clipston, was instrumental in calling out many of these crypto scams right before they collapsed, saving a lot of people a lot of money in the process. Swan Private focuses on guiding high net worth individuals and businesses on all aspects of Bitcoin strategy, including buying, custodying, and market research. This concierge service provides you direct access to a private advisor by text, phone, or email. So go to swanprivate.com slash breedlove today to sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. Jane Adams, welcome to the What Is Money show. Bert, thanks for having me. Jane, you've recently become pretty popular on Twitter, I guess, for announcing that you're running for the House of Representatives and then also being somewhat of an outspoken Bitcoin proponent. And uh, I know we're just talking offline that President Nayib Bukele, the El Salvadoran president, recently followed you on Twitter. Um, so how has that experience been for you just coming into the world of Bitcoin Twitter and um, engaging with all these interesting minds that seem to congregate there. I think it's absolutely incredible. When I started running, it was to help people understand or become aware of CBDCs, central bank digital currencies and Bitcoin and how it's influential in our lives and how it's gonna change our lives completely, how it's gonna affect our future. And when I started running, I realized nobody else was talking about this really important issue. And at least I'm gonna do this to get the word out, to get some awareness on the topics, on the issues. And so when I ran, I 
hadn't been on Twitter or any social media for many, many years. And a friend of mine said, oh, you got to get on Twitter. This is, you know, the thing people do this. So, okay, fine. So I got on Twitter. I started tweeting about Bitcoin CBDCs and the response was incredible. Thousands of people retweets, likes, and I thought, wow, this is an issue people really care about. I'm glad that I'm not the only person that cares, but I'm a little disappointed that I'm one of the few people that actually decided to step on up to the plate and address these things on a national level, or even challenge the idea of ending the Federal Reserve in any way affecting our monetary system. So I really, I really, was received in a way that motivated me to continue and to try harder and to do more. And that's what I've been doing. I'm very grateful that Bukele followed me on Twitter. I was stunned because um, he, he's amazing. He's so influential. I mean, El Salvador, he's the president of El Salvador and El Salvador really um, changed since he came into office. I mean, El Salvador was gangland. People were dying every single day. Hospitals were full of people, bullet wounds, stabbing, stab wounds, drug dealers, cartels. I mean, it was a complete disaster. And Bitcoin changed it for the better. I love that. I'm inspired by it. I think we can do it all over the world. Maybe on the smaller scale, because we also have currency nationalized all over the globe. But if we can at least use some of their progress as an example, we could really change the world. We can improve things quickly. That's an interesting outlook that El Salvador could be sort of like a case study, right? For the future future nations that, that look to go down this Bitcoin path. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because they're like, I'm just thinking out loud here, how the IMF talking about El Salvador, they say that, you know, Bitcoin's worthless and doesn't matter, but at the same time, they're trying to stop El Salvador from progressing. And so there's this obvious dissonance that <laughs> you're saying this, technology is worthless and doesn't matter. But on the other hand, you're very concerned about a country adopting it. So something doesn't yeah. reconcile. Um, on that topic of just social media, how much do you think social media has changed professional politics? Because it's, you know, it, when I'm thinking about something like celebrity, it's almost become the metric of celebrity, right? It's how many whatever followers you have as a quantifiable scoreboard where, you know, pre-social media, we didn't really have that. We people, there were different levels of fame in different circles, I guess. But how much do you think the professional political game has been changed by the advent of social media? I think politicians and their teams, their marketing teams, publicists realize that social media is a really great way to reach out to voters to create influence, to echo the message of their party. 
um, basically reinforce the current political political structure we have, which I think is extremely toxic. I think it's actually what's causing all the problems in our country today, um, monetarily at least, where over $30 trillion in debt and Congress is responsible for creating that, but they're, you know, they're continuing to do this even though we want them to stop. And I feel like that's a perfect demonstration of why we don't have a democracy. We may vote for people that are running for state positions uh, and, and basically contribute our opinions to legislation on a state level. But on a federal level, once we elect a representative or a senator, they go to DC and they no, no longer need our opinion. They don't care about what we say. They're out there making whatever laws they want. They're funded by the banks. They're tied into corporations and they're a slave to the Federal Reserve. Their job has essentially become uh, being fundraisers for the Federal Reserve. And the only thing the Federal Reserve is doing for us is buying out corporations so that they can control our wages and make sure we don't have enough money to really make a change in the world, not have enough influence, make sure that small businesses can never prosper uh, against corporate interests and um, make sure that they're able to use all the information that they get to profit themselves on the stock market. Um, they pass laws that benefit each other, like insider trading is legal for politicians, but it's illegal for other people. Like I, I often think, how is it that Martha Stewart was put in prison for small amount of insider trading, but then you have Nancy Pelosi, who's just thriving on the stock market and it's totally fine. She's also the third person in line for the presidency. And right now Biden's president. And if, if he isn't fit enough to continue being president, we get Kamala. And Kamala's got her own issues too. I mean, her staff just keeps quitting. Uh, I've heard they just don't, they don't like working for her. They can't tolerate working for her. And that's why they're quitting. And that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know Kamala, but the fact that all these people are quitting these jobs of really high positions makes me think, why would you take a risk of ruining your reputation just, you know, because you feel upset. So it makes me believe, yeah, there's some serious stuff going on that they're trying to keep from us. That's very corrupt. And so you have Kamala second in line. And then after her, we have Nancy Pelosi, who's clearly a crook. So, I mean, that's what we have to deal with. For me, it's very upsetting, but it also points out how Americans no longer have any part of making decisions for 
how our country functions, how our money is used, how much money we're allowed to have at any point in time. Uh, they control inflation. They, they control everything. It's a good example is during the COVID pandemic, they shut down small businesses, but they kept corporations running. So a lot of corporations bought up the properties that the small businesses had owned or just their businesses in general. And it's all part of the plan. They're corrupt. They don't care about us. If you think about it, it's a room full of millionaires, multimillionaires. So they know how to balance a budget. They know how to profit, but they don't want to balance our budget. They don't care about Americans. They don't want to focus on making profits to benefit our country. And uh, I, I wish more people understood how serious that was. I wish people were less complacent. So I'm stepping up. I wanna make sure that people know that there's a voice out there that wants to change things. And even if I can't change things on my own, I hope to at least incentivize people, encourage people, inspire people to do the same. That's wonderful. Um, it, it doesn't seem like we can ever have any true democracy so long as a central bank exists because I, I talk about this a lot, but like, the, you know, the vote you cast with your wallet matters much more than the ballot you cast. So if there's yeah. an, if there's an institution that can print money at the heart of the economy, then it's effectively voter fraud, right? The more money they print, the more they're defrauding the voting mechanism that is the marketplace. And, you know, as you're going through that explanation of the different individuals that are currently in charge, the word corrupt comes up a lot. And we know, you know, what Lord Acton said that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if money, you know, one of the things money is clearly is an, is an instrument of power or a tool of power. So if we have corrupt money, it's not that surprising to me that we have so many corrupt characters at the top of the political hierarchies. Um, so, you know, I would argue, as I do argue that we need some incorruptible money to fix this, fix these problems, let's say at the root, rather than just hack at the leaves, um, which obviously gets us into Bitcoin. And that's a place you've become increasingly popular is on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, as a proponent and as a proponent that's seeking political leadership. So Bitcoin versus shitcoin. How do you draw the line? How do you talk to people about it? Uh, how do you think about it overall? My perspective on that is, uh, well, first of all, I call them altcoins and I support Bitcoin. I love it. I think it's the future. It's a great commodity, great store of value. Um, families can invest in it for their future. It's got 21 million Bitcoins. It's a hard cap, no printing. It's proof of work. So you actually have to put in energy to create value. Unlike 
what the Federal Reserve does when they're printing money. And that's partially true because it does take energy to build the printer and create the paper and the inks and all these features that they put on the money. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of work. And so it gives it some value, but essentially it doesn't give it the value that we give it. And I, I realized that a lot of people have no idea how money works. They have no idea how the economy works. They don't understand what inflation is or how it's created or, um, you know, why prices are going up on everything, not just bread, but rent. Um, why is gas high? And also a lot of that is tied into politics, um, policy, geopolitics. And that is also something that most people don't understand. You really got to be a nerd to get into those kinds of things. Um, I'm a super nerd. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I try to not rush into explaining everything to people right away but i basically point out that bitcoin is a solid investment because it retains its value over time not only does it retain its value over time it grows in value and right now um if somebody bought gold 10 years ago i think they they profited by a hundred dollars now so if people want to invest in something that retains its value, then do Bitcoin and it'll, it'll gain value over time. But even if you just want to store your money somewhere, I think it's a, it's a good way to go about that. Um, as far as the other coins, uh, which most people refer to as crypto, and I refer to as altcoins, is that they are centralized, they're controlled by people, they're created by people. And a lot of Bitcoin supporters actually refer to them as scams, or like you said, shit coins. And a popular phrase is Bitcoin, not shit coins. And I completely agree. I think it's a little vulgar to say it that way and deterring to um, you know, average people that have never got into Bitcoin. But basically it's centralized. You have people that can shut it off at any time. A lot of them are hosted on Amazon, internet services, web services. Um, it, it just makes me uncomfortable knowing that my wealth is tied into Jeff Bezos's businesses. He's really good at business. And I feel like he's using us to make money as well. He's, he's really great at what he does. He's a great businessman. And I commend him for that. But I don't want to be one of the reasons he's successful. I don't want him to use me. I don't want him to use other people, which is why I discourage people from from using altcoins because they're not an investment. You could easily lose all your money. It's speculation. It, it's essentially an unregistered, an unregistered security. 
And people don't understand that they invest this money into all these doggy coins and they lose money. You can't invest in a currency or coin or store of value that's controlled by people that started it to make money for themselves. The fact that they allocated 50, 60, 80% of those crypto assets to themselves before they sold it to other people, to me says their biggest uh, goal, their intention is to profit from our investments. And a lot of these coins have no utility. They have no use case. They do absolutely nothing. I ask people, what is this for? Oh, well, they're working on a project and in the future, it's gonna do this or that. Okay, well, how long have you been waiting? Oh, it's been a couple of years, but you know, we're, we're still waiting. It's gonna happen, we promise. And you know what? Um, it, it just, it's not gonna happen. Stop lying to yourselves. Stop waiting to get rich. You know, there's there's people that are like, win Lambo. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. I'm going to have all this money to do all this stuff, live in mansion. No, that's not going to happen. That's going to happen for the developers that created this protocol, created this crypto. They're going to profit and you're going to lose. That's how it works. People profit from your loss. And uh, especially people, they'll watch a few videos on YouTube and think there's some kind of super trader, super market trader, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm so good. And then they lose all their money. I've seen it happen so many times. So I think it's important for, for people to understand the difference between Bitcoin and altcoins. So I think what people realize is that there's no fees to keep it. A lot of banks, a lot of debit accounts, they charge you a fee just to store your money. Savings accounts, you don't earn any money. You don't gain any money on those investments. But you keeping your money in a bank account creates leverage for bankers that they use to speculate on the market. And it doesn't mean that they're better traders than us. I mean, these people are geniuses but they still lose. They still lose. And this is why we have to bail them out because they make bad bets and they lose. So if those geniuses lose, then people without any experience are definitely losing. We just, uh, we need to discourage people from getting into scams, Ponzi schemes, Bitcoin, 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 all the way. Don't fall for these scams. I don't know. I'm, I get so upset picturing so many people losing money, especially when they put in their life savings. So I'm sorry if I'm a little emotional about it. No, it's, uh, I don't apologize. I think it's something worth being emotional about and is the kind of triggers that internal sense of justice within us, right? It's an, it's an injustice when people are scammed out of their money, especially when it's done so blatantly and repeatedly under these different, I call it, I mean, I've heard it called innovation theater where, you know, put together the website and the, the roadmap and the product and the fancy deck and, you know, pretend like you're doing this, that, and the other thing, 
you know, partnerships are typically a big part of it. <laughs> Just name dropping these giant recognizable corporate logos. And then raising a bunch of money off of largely retail investors and then just scalping them. It's, it's ridiculous, honestly. And that is 99.99 to 100% of crypto, as far as I know. Now, you know, there's 30,000 projects out there. I can't say with absolute certainty that 30,000 of them are scams. But I found it to be a very useful fiction for me to just go ahead and assume that and stay focused on Bitcoin and all of the things that means. You know, Bitcoin means so many things for the future of humanity. It's like you don't even want to dilute yourself on some get rich quick scheme token. Um, what, and you, you know, you mentioned this, this is the key point, right? That, Bitcoin cannot, at least the core consensus rules of Bitcoin, 21 million in particular, nobody can do anything about that. It's not controllable by anyone. And that's the real value proposition. Whereas every other project, its core consensus rules or its supply cap, every, every dimension of it, essentially someone can control some entity, some individual founder, foundation, whatever it may be. So I think we're making a pretty strong case for Bitcoin maximalism here. Uh, where would you consider yourself to be a Bitcoin maximalist? And what has your experience been with the community um, so far? I've definitely been called a Bitcoin maxi all day, every day. Um, I don't consider myself a Bitcoin maxi. I believe people have the freedom to choose to invest or spend their money on whatever they want, uh, whether it's a bad decision or not. Uh, I personally support Bitcoin. I endorse Bitcoin because I believe in it so much that I know I'm not giving people bad advice. And just to clarify, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, but it's something I believe in. It's something I support similar to like, if someone was dehydrated, I'd say, you know, I think you should drink some water. Same thing. I'd say, if you really want to invest in something of value, if you want to make sure that your hard work is valued, you need to buy Bitcoin $5 a week, $5 a month, hundred dollars a month, whatever you feel like you can afford to put aside instead of ordering that pizza, just, you know, buy, buy a little bit of Bitcoin. Also, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of how to buy Bitcoin, how much it costs, where to buy it, things like that. So I've been repeatedly asked if there are only 21 million Bitcoin, how can everyone have one? How can I buy it? And they don't understand that Bitcoin can actually be broken down like the dollar is. You have cents, you have dollars, same thing. You have Bitcoin, you have sats. And people can, you know, fractional, fractional Bitcoin. People can buy it like that. It, it's really easy. It's for the people. Anyone can do it. And I love that. I love that anyone can buy it. Anyone can earn it. 
anyone can own it on their own device. Um, they don't allow anyone to leverage it. The banks don't use it against us. Nobody has to be bailed out. It's your money. So you're able to allocate it on whatever you want, on whatever you believe in. You want to invest in your community, you can. Um, whereas when you're paying taxes, you're essentially taking your hard-earned money and sending it to the crooks and hoping that they throw back some crumbs to you. And uh, that, that system isn't working. People are very upset. People are getting depressed. Uh, some of the uh, highest causes of death for millennials and Gen Z are suicide and drug overdoses, uh, depression, mental illness. And I feel a big part of it is the way our economy is affecting us. We feel hopeless. We feel like we don't have a way to build a life for a future and things are just going to keep getting worse. And it seems like that every year I say, oh, you know, this is it. This is the end of the nightmare. Things can't possibly get worse, right? We have a terrible election, uh, very controversial, very violent response to it. And then right after that, we have the pandemic. Right after that, we have a war. It's just endless. And uh, I'm tired of it. The system isn't working for us. We need to stop contributing to the dollar economy. We need to stop paying the Federal Reserve to scam us. I'm done with it. And I, I want other people to be done with it too. I want us to be angry and never lose our sense of outrage. We have to stop this and we can. If we join together, buy some Bitcoin, be your own bank, make sure you don't have your money on exchanges, don't have your money in banks, don't spend your money on things that are gonna contribute to the government. We can do this, we can actually make a difference and we can save ourselves. It's well said, so yeah, I mean, there's this, I think it's a strong case to be made that inflation is basically inducing despair into people, right? The, everything keeps getting more expensive, but your wages are not keeping up. And so obviously people are getting squeezed, taxed effectively, um, robbed, stolen from, whatever you want to say it. Um, how, so how, okay. When you say band together, I think one area that's been very effective at, at least getting this message across that we're both advocates for is Bitcoin toxicity. Now, this is something I've thought a lot about and both been a recipient of uh, the brunt force of it and also seeing the value in it and the utility in it. What are your thoughts on this cultural phenomenon called toxic Bitcoin maximalism? 
So for those who don't know, toxic Bitcoin maximalism refers to how people that support Bitcoin, people that believe Bitcoin is a great store of value, people that believe that Bitcoin is the path to financial independence, uh, occasionally they become so impassioned by these thoughts that they become very aggressive towards anyone that tries to challenge that perspective. So it can be expressed through rage, um, through offensive comments, um, shutting people down, uh, basically telling them that their decisions are the reason our entire country is collapsing, that all the world's suffering is their fault because they're buying the wrong cryptocurrencies. So um, personally, I feel like it's counterproductive. I think people that are in the crypto space or also people in Web3, um, people that are into DeFi, uh, which in my opinion are all buzzwords. Uh, they don't actually mean what they say. Um, I, I understand that they may not be making responsible decisions, but I think the way to approach them about that is not to call them names and yell at them and, and bully them and break down their spirit. Uh, it pushes people away. But I understand why people have that toxic toxicity. They're angry with the system. They want change and they want it now. And maybe if they pressure everyone to understand how evil those coins are, then they'll finally have an awakening and switch over to Bitcoin. Um, you know, to each their own, maybe it works. I'm not toxic about it. I'll make jokes sometimes. I'll call them scams or I'll discourage people from buying more of the altcoins <laughs> that they're buying. But I think the best way to help people understand the value of Bitcoin, the true value of it, how it can affect us, not just monetarily, but socially. Um, I personally believe it's, it's a human rights issue. But the best way to go about it, in my opinion, is trying to explain it to people in a way that they can understand using metaphors, using language they're familiar with. A lot of Bitcoin toxic maxis use jargon that isn't easy to understand. I mean, you know, the words time chain, SHA-256, um, protocol, like people don't understand these things. It's, it's absolutely foreign to them. So if we can find ways speak to them in layman's terms, then we can really accelerate adoption. So that's what I've been focusing on 
for the past five months is just finding ways to communicate with everyday people in a way that they will understand the value and utility of Bitcoin. Well, that's certainly needed. Um, Bitcoin is complex enough, although once you penetrate the jargon and get your head around the principles, it's sort of obvious in a way. It's like money that can't be printed in a world flooded with printed money or, or cannot be counterfeited in a world flooded with counterfeit currency, something like that. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to deliver that idea. You know, it's, I mean, again, this is why I named the show, what is money? Because I could say that to somebody I'm like, Hey, we need money. We can't counterfeit. And even that people are like, why, what does it matter? And it's because they don't understand. They don't understand what money is, right? If you understand what money is, you understand that counterfeiting the money is the equivalent of stealing from the saver, the person using the money for savings. So all of a sudden yeah. you realize, Hey, I've got dollars in the bank account. I'm one of the victims. And I, I think if you could just install that one idea in everyone's or most everyone's mind, this goes to that old Henry Ford quote that he said something to the effect of, I believe if that everyone in the United States understood how the banking system operated, there'd be a revolution before the morning. Like if you just understood money and banking, you would, and you're a depositor in a bank, then you should be royally pissed. Um, Anyways, the fight shall continue. <laughs> now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. That's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy-to-use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Pacific Bitcoin Conference, brought to you by Swan. Now this is going to be a two-day event in Los Angeles, November 10th and 11th, 2022. And if you haven't been to a Bitcoin conference yet, I highly recommend it as there really is no better way to get integrated into the Bitcoin community. Speakers announced so far include Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, uh, many others. I'll be speaking as well. Uh, Michael Saylor is even quoted as saying, this is going to be the event of the year. So you definitely don't want to miss it. 
so go to pacificbitcoin.com and use discount code BREEDLOVE to get your tickets today. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This is going to be a three-day event held May 18th through 20th, 2023 in Miami, Florida. This is going to be the biggest Bitcoin event of the year, and the past two years in Miami have been simply amazing. Speakers already announced for 2023 include Michael Saylor, Alex Gladstein, Corey Clipston, and many others. Last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway specifically for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference slash 2023 and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Masterworks. Masterworks gives you access to the fine art market at more affordable price points. They do this by offering you fractional shares in their $500 million portfolio of fine art. Now, fine art is an alternative asset class, and historically, it's been a great performer and a really good hedge against inflation. Most investors typically hold anywhere from 2 to 10% of their assets in an asset like fine art. To sign up or learn more, go to masterworks.com and use promo code BREEDLOVE. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CASA. CASA makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, CASA provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. I want to ask you about Twitter, though. Twitter seems to be... Twitter's an interesting place because I think it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's great in the way that it enhances the exchange of information, uh, the liquidity of ideas, right? There's a lot of dialogue or pseudo-dialogue taking place. Um, on the other hand, it seems like the incentives of, of Twitter are, are tilted towards enragement rather than engagement. and. One other thing I would note here is that to go onto Bitcoin Twitter is to like step into the jungle in a way. It's just raw. Like, you know, everyone's attacking. When I say attacking, obviously I don't mean physically attacking. This is uh, a metaphor or an, a metaphor we use when you're talking on Twitter. You're just speaking very harshly, directly, uh, obviously, oftentimes attacking people, name calling, you know, ad hominem, all this stuff. But the weird thing is, so that's Twitter. I will go to a Bitcoin conference with those same people on Twitter that are about seem like they want to decapitate one another on Twitter. And then you see them in person at a conference and everyone's just laughing and smiling and hugging and having a good time. So it seems to me there's something about the platform itself that's really triggering the most animalistic mode of being for some of us. Um, what are your thoughts on Twitter? Uh, is it net positive, net negative? Do you see it as a double-edged sword? What, like, how do you think about it? 
I think Twitter is a platform where people with common interests can meet and exchange ideas, um, put, put in input, get uh, basically involved in a movement that's global. Uh, I personally don't know anyone in person that supports Bitcoin except uh, when I specifically look for communities or environments or events where I know Bitcoiners would be. Um, we do have a big culture of NFTs and Web3 and people that are really into blockchain, but that's not the same thing. I think of those as fads. I think of those as people who are looking for a way to impact progress in the world, especially when they use the environmentalism argument, which I could smash down in, in like seconds. But I think it's important for people to have a place to meet up with people with common interests, especially for something like this. Bitcoin is not just a currency. It's not just a store of wealth, of value. It's actually a movement. And that's why I love Twitter. But at the same time, a lot of people go on Twitter and they act like they're special. They act like they're important and powerful when they're not. And uh, I think they're called keyboard warriors. They're <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like them. I always clap back. People attack me and they expect me to just fall back and take the abuse, but I don't. I actively confront them. I will argue with them and even offend them as much as they're trying to offend me. I'm not shy. And I think that the point of really standing up to these bullies is teaching them that they can't treat people like this. I mean, people are, are treating kids like this on the internet and kids are very vulnerable. They're emotionally developing and self-conscious. And when people attack them, calling them names and telling them they're worthless, saying things like, you know, they should die. And which is what people do on Twitter. I've had death threats. I've had people threatened to rape me, uh, all kinds of nasty things. And at first they thought, oh, this is horrible. And then I realized, oh, these people are only saying that because they know I can't catch them. They know I can't, you know, meet them and confront them in person because they'd probably be terrified. And you're right. People go to these conferences and they pretend they're a buddy buddy because they want more followers on Twitter but they don't matter. It's like having a boogeyman under your bed. He's not there. It's not real. You're creating this concept in your mind of, of terror of people actually meaning what they say. These bullies, these bullies are cowards and their words don't matter. And I encourage anyone that ever gets assaulted or bullied, uh, just just let it roll right off you. These people don't matter. What they say doesn't matter. They're desperate. They're 
pathetic and they're lonely and they're probably only talking to you because they have no one else to talk to and they're only attacking you because they're desperate for attention. People are cowards. People that bully you are cowards. Um, I actually was bullied by one of the developers of Ethereum and Cardano, Charles Hoskinson. And he has about 800,000 followers. He didn't like one of the things I tweeted and he retweeted it, essentially sending all 800,000 people after me to attack me with awful comments. And that didn't happen just once. It was, you know, it was, it was offensive and it was happening repeatedly. I was very upset. I addressed it. He didn't stop. It got to a point where I felt I had to embarrass him and it worked. So bullies come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, this guy is influential. He's powerful. He's a multimillionaire. Yet he still chose to bully someone like me who at, at this point, I have about 18,000 followers, which in my opinion is a very small amount for someone that would even ever be considered any type of influencer. He's a bully and I stood up to him. And I think no matter who it is, we have to stand up for our opinions, our ideas, even if they're wrong, we need to be able to put it out there so people can correct us. People can teach us why it's wrong so that we can change our minds and become better um, instead of just lashing out and being nasty to each other. It's toxic, it's counterproductive. And as long as, as, long as people react to the bullying, get upset by the bullying, um, we're never going to get anywhere. This is the same thing what the government does to us. They tell us we're terrible people. Um, no matter what party you are, people will either call you a Nazi or a commie. This is ridiculous. Just ignore it. I wish I could reach out to every teenager, every kid that gets bullied and just tell them, don't put up with it, clap back at them, give them the same force they're giving you and they'll learn their lesson, put them in their place. I'm often in a space on Twitter called Bitcoin versus altcoin. And I go in there and people challenge me. People try to tell me why Bitcoin is worthless. They call it um, old fashioned. They say it's the dial up of crypto and technology has advanced so much and Bitcoin is stuck in the past. So we, we have a good argument and I crush people and that's good. That's okay. You got to learn how to stand up for yourself. Sounds like, um, I don't know, I guess we're just learning to deal with these new technological realities. It's just, it's a, it's like a grand uncontrolled social experiment and everyone's trying to adapt to the new digital way of life a lot of which is mediated on social media and i don't it's complicated and especially when you start to consider children right like you said that you know how how to limit children's access and to what extent do you limit their access to these technologies over time and i, I mean 
as a father of a young girl, it definitely makes my mind whirl. So um, I have to cross that bridge in a few years. I guess I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, so you, you said this before we started, and I, I thought this was really, really apt, um, that technology is the only way we can improve the world. And I know you, you were also recently on InfoWars. I don't know if you talked about that. Um, but what does that mean? What, like, okay, so technology is the only way we can improve the world. Does that mean we should be like really trying to pump out as many engineers as possible to, to start working on all these unsolved technological problems or what, what do you mean by that comment in particular? And, and how, do, how would you put that into action? Technology is definitely the only thing that improves our world. Anything from eyeglasses, the light bulb, cars, uh, heart surgery, so many things. It's technology. It's not politics. It's a lot of people think it's politics. And I agree politics can make a difference. Politics can help lead us to developing new technology. But we do need more engineers. I feel like the politicians know that. I mean, even after the Second World War, the government imported Nazi engineers to work on our space programs. I think it's called Operation Paperclip. They understand the value of engineering and science, technology, research and development. They're not doing that for us. They're not doing that for Americans. They're doing it for programs, for the military industrial complex, for the Federal Reserve, for speculating on things that benefit them and their investors. I just, uh, I feel like we really need to break out of this cycle. It's, it's just going downhill. We need to stand together on this. We can't give up. A lot of people are just, they're giving up. We're losing hope. But if we can just focus on developing technology, we can make a difference. We can improve our world. I think part of the reason we aren't advancing our technology is because of patents. If we had more open source projects, more open source technology that already exists, we'd be able to progress so quickly. Our world would be so advanced Whereas right now we're still trying to figure out how to cure cancer. We're not prioritizing the things that benefit us most. And again, I'll, I'll definitely put the blame onto Congress. I'll put the blame on, on our government. Well, I certainly agree that government misallocates i would argue all but i think a very strong case can be made for at least most of all the capital that it allocates um 
And that, you know, that's a long standing Austrian economic argument that government action is a misallocation of capital because all the revenues are derived from theft. And it's much easier to spend someone else's money or stolen money than it is your own, right? You tend to think a lot more about the value of money if you spent time, effort, and energy earning it, as opposed to just extracting it from the work of someone else. Um, yeah, so agreed there. We definitely need more technology. You mentioned this too, that millennials and Gen Z are the largest voting bloc in the United States making up uh what percentage is it of the voters five percent millennials and gen z are 75 percent of the voting block are you a millennial i am a millennial i and am I a millennial as well awesome i love to... avocado toast do you love avocado toast no i don't i'm just a steak eater but i used to love avocado toast before i quit gluten um what so what is it is, clearly millennials and Gen Z have different taste and lifestyles than the generations that came before them. Um, and I guess I, I think a case could also be made that they've been kind of swindled uh, over the past 10 plus years of economic activity in the world. Um, just as a note on that, the chart that I've seen is, you know, by the time Gen X reached their mid thirties, they had accumulated on average enough wealth to buy their own home outright. Whereas millennials are like 10% of the way there, something like that. You have to check my math, but uh, suffice it to say that millennials and Gen Z are not progressing as quickly as the generations that came before them in terms of wealth acquisition, uh, in terms of their average age. What do we need to change to fix that? Like, assume a lot of the things we've talked about today have to do with it, but what, what specifically, I guess, would you do in your influence in the House of Representatives to help millennials and Gen Z uh, catch up? Oof. Yeah, millennials have certainly had it pretty hard uh, ever since the um, 2008 housing bubble crisis. I think even before then, I think it could have started with 9-11. Uh, I grew up in New York City, so I experienced 9-11. I was very close to the Twin Towers when it happened. I was a teenager in high school, but I still was able to get some photographs of the, the very depressing event. And it made me think about what is our government doing? Why did 9-11 happen? Why did these people bomb our, our towers, our buildings, our city? And I realized that after doing a bunch of research that Iraq was trying to get off of the US dollar. And uh, I, I kept doing more research and I realized that the U.S. tends to start wars with countries that want to get off the U.S. dollar, that don't want to depend on the U.S. dollar for trade, for value of their money. And that made me concerned, like, why are we so committed to using the dollar that we're willing to kill people 
to keep our status. And that's when I realized that the Federal Reserve is a bank that is not part of our government, whose goal is to put people in debt, whose goal is to put countries in debt, that it's just every, every time a country wants to become independent, the US goes in and stops them from doing that. And that's all because of the Federal Reserve. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. The big banks are controlling our money. They're controlling our lifestyle. They're controlling our wages. They decide how much money we can have at any time. And then when we have money, they take some of it. I So my perspective on this, it's, it's not a popular perspective, but I believe that when the Federal Reserve prints dollars, they don't have much intrinsic value. So the way they create the value is by laundering it through our work. So they have these pieces of paper. They say, um, are you willing to work eight hours and in exchange receive these pieces of paper that we printed? People comply and say, okay, cool, sounds good. And so they work hard, they accept the pieces of paper and now there's proof that they have value because the people are willing to work for this piece of paper, then it must be worth something. And then the government taxes us. They say, all right, well, now that we've cleaned the money, uh, we're gonna collect it back through income taxes, capital gains taxes, sales taxes, uh, Everything you could possibly think of, you're renting a car at the airport, taxes on that. We live in a taxed world where our money does not belong to us. It belongs to the Federal Reserve. And we're just doing the service of laundering the money for them. And then when they get the money back, it's valuable now because we've invested our time and energy into it. And they're able to use it for war, for spending on things that voters don't want, which is why it's important for millennials and Gen Z to come out and vote, not just for the president, not just for Congress, but look on your ballot. There are issues on the ballot that matter to the people in your community. And you have to participate in that because that's how they keep taking away our power. That's how they keep creating new taxes for us to pay. We're totally controlled by the Federal Reserve and the government is just a tool of the Federal Reserve to make sure we don't get out of line. They make sure we're controlled. They pass laws that benefit the Federal Reserve, that benefit corporations that are also owned by the Federal Reserve through debt. If we don't change the way we spend and earn money, we are constantly going to be feeding the machine of war, destruction, debt, misery, abuse of individuals and other nations. What's happening right now in Ukraine is absolutely 
disgusting. Um, the fact that America has gotten involved in a conflict that has absolutely nothing to do with us, that alone is, is proof that we will do anything to protect the value of the dollar, the fake value of the dollar. We need to stop doing that. We need to step out of that system. I believe a circular economy is the best way to do that. I believe Bitcoin can teach us how to do that. It can show us that our money can be invested into movements, um, things that we believe in, the type of food we should eat, the type of communities we should live in. Why do we have to keep giving our money to a bank that isn't looking out for our best interest? We know what's best for our communities. We deserve to keep that money and allocate it ourselves to the resources that we need. That's why a lot of private sector companies do so much better than government funded companies. Like for example, Elon Musk, I think he's a really great asset allocator. He's done so much for technology and he's contributed to everyone in the world. Everybody knows who he is. Everyone has benefited from something he's done in his lifetime. And he continues to do that. We need to look to that. We need to look to the technology and we need to understand that the government does not want that for us. They don't want us to get out. They don't want us to have a life, to have success. They wanna see us miserable. They wanna make sure that no matter what kind of situation we're in, no matter how happy or sad we are, we will always be forced to work for their dollar. The fact that the Federal Reserve has a monopoly on money and that the federal government is reinforcing that monopoly just shows that it's a racket. It's a banking cartel. The government is just a group of thugs working for the Federal Reserve. We gotta get out of this. These people are our enemies. And when I say these people, I mean the legislators, um, the people working for the Federal Reserve, they're all complicit in a scheme that works really well for them. But we gotta step out of this we don't deserve to be treated like this. And the thing is we have the choice to be free from it. I think that's maybe why Bitcoiners are so passionate about spreading the message is because we see a vision of freedom from this enslavement to the elite. It's become the rulers and the ruled, the masters, throwing crumbs from their table and expecting us to be grateful. We have to change it, we can change it. And um, I, you know what, I'll even go out on a ledge and say, invest in Bitcoin. And this is financial advice. <laughs> that is a risky thing to say. No, only if you're in finance, I guess. Um, yeah, there's so much 
so much you said there that makes sense to me and this idea of i forget who said this but there's two ways to conquer a country one is with the sword the other is by debt and so this country is that was john adams john adams this country is just strangled in debt right and it's when you have debt integrated into the monetary layer well that's what fiat currency is it's a debt-based money it in, it induces the accumulation of debt and all the economic transactions um, denominated in it that it you know it sounds like strong language enslavement slavery but mm, you know it's kind of the way of history and we've seen the very close relationship of debt and slavery across history to the point where if you could not pay your debts in the past, you know, you would you typically go into bondage with your creditor. So this is not, it's not that far out, let's say. And your point on private sector actors like Elon, he's a, he's a phenomenal capital allocator because he's got skin in the game, right? It's his capital. He's investing. <laughs> he has every incentive to make sure that the execution the management, the operations, the ideas even are sound before he puts them into practice. Again, whereas a government simply does not, they have no skin in the game. It's just someone else's hard work that they're spending. And it's obvious, it's intuitive that you would be more frivolous in, under those circumstances. In Las Vegas, we call this a free roll, right? If someone else funds your, your bet, well, sure, you'll play the game. Why not? You've got nothing to lose. You have zero downside. You have whatever the upside is in the game. And that's what effectively what these politicians have. It's like, it's just upside. You just, you have spending that costs you nothing. Yeah. Clearly the, the decisions that follow from that are bad. Whereas if you've got a guy like Elon who suffers downside risk, but also enjoys upside, that he's going to make good decisions. He's going to be pragmatic. He's going to be wise with his money. And um, yeah, seems like that would be a better world for all of us to live in. If we had a few more Elons and a few less uh, bureaucrats. Um, okay, Jane, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, if there are any parting words you would like to leave with for my audience, please feel free to share them. Otherwise, uh, if you just want to let us know where we can find out more about you or your work. All right. So I'd say the most important things right now are to get involved in politics, find candidates in your community and offer to volunteer anything, do phone banks, knocking doors, passing out flyers. You're gonna surround yourself with people that understand how the system works how legislation works and you're going to know what the most important issues are, uh, especially CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, which right now I think are the biggest threat to our freedom when it comes to money. I think that's actually going to be the nail in the coffin of enslaving us to the dollar. I think that people should spend more time reading about what government is doing. Just kind of look into it. Check out C-SPAN. I'm sure nobody even knows what that is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a channel that talks about 
what's going on in government. It's a really good way to keep up with things. Don't get pushed around by bullies. Stand up to them. No matter how, how hard you have to hit back, just do it because they won't stop unless you show them how it's done. Be, be better than them. Be a better troll than they are. Usually shuts them up. Try to find what moves you, what motivates you and chase that, chase your dream because it'll show you that the things that you believe in are more important than the nonsense the media and the government are trying to convince you of. There are two parties, two main parties. It's essentially a two-party system in the States, but it's not really a two-party system. It's one big party a group of boomers that conspire against us and work for the Federal Reserve to continue our enslavement. And Bitcoin is our way out of that. Bitcoin is our way of becoming our own bank and removing power from the Federal Reserve, removing power from the dictatorship of the Federal Reserve. They control everything and we can step out of that. Bitcoin is the answer. If you fix the money, you fix the world. And we could do that. So um, I, I'm not sure what kind of software or apps you use to buy Bitcoin, but for beginners, I definitely recommend Cash App. I think it's the easiest way to do it. Everybody has Cash App. Just buy some, $5 worth, get familiar with it. I'll even send someone $5 worth of Bitcoin. Um, I would calculate it in sats, but for beginners, just five bucks of Bitcoin, absolutely for free, just to get people started. I really believe in this movement. I think it's our only way out. Please, guys, just give it a shot. Don't resist. You're going to regret it. And if you want to learn more about me, I'd say definitely hit me up on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there these days, even though I haven't been on social media for several years. And my handle there is at I love Jane Adams. And you'll get a link to my website, janeadams.us. You can see the policies that I support. I'm a Republican, a constitutionalist, but I've discovered that a lot of moderates, even some Democrats like my platform. I think we've come to a point where nobody's satisfied with what either parties are offering us. We're changing the way government works and the boomers are gonna be out pretty soon. They're gonna retire, they're gonna die. They're gonna make room for us. This is our chance. In about 10 years, millennials are gonna be running the government. So prepare, get trained, run for office, learn what you're talking about and you'll get elected. Quite the motivating message to conclude on. Jane, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's an honor, privilege. Thank you so much.